15,000 SKUs. You heard that right. And that is the amount of SKUs that Thrasio currently owns uh, in their business of selling on Amazon. Now, that is just one of the facts that we found out um, on tonight's Clubhouse Talk, which I put up on the um, podcast recording um, here. Liran Hirschborn, your host of the e-commerce mindset podcast we had a really interesting discussion including um you know asking um casey goss who is um vp of seo at thrasio uh when he thinks it's the right time for sellers to kind of move off amazon i think you'll find his answer on you know should you go to shopify walmart and some of these other channels or what should you kind of do next as you scale your amazon business i think you'll find that um interesting as well so really good discussion we start off really talking a little bit about thrasio multiples in the space for selling the business and then we shifted to talking a little bit about product launches external traffic and where you should really focus on as you scale your business. So the first half is more on the sort of uh, exit side. Second half is more so on the on the marketing side. Um, I think you really enjoy this this conversation. When the um, podcast starts, you'll hear sort of me as just as I'm kicking off this room on Clubhouse that I hosted tonight uh, with um, Jonathan uh, Hefter, who's one of the original founding members of Thrasio, um, Casey Goss, who's um, VP of SEO, Chris Yates, who runs the Rhodium community and uh, a company that helps helps investors do um, due diligence when they're acquiring um, businesses, as well as Clement Wan, who is a former investment banker, uh, Amazon seller, just really, really smart guy. Um, so I think you'll find this discussion interesting. The podcast is sponsored by IncrementumDigital.com. Incrementum Digital is my Amazon uh, and now Walmart focused marketing um, and advertising uh, agency. We help you grow your brand on Amazon. We also fully manage brands um, doing some really interesting thing. We just launched a product this week just with PBC and we are on page one um, for the main keyword, which it's not a huge niche, but 7,000 searches a month and growing. Um, so pretty interesting things that uh, that we're seeing um, happening in the in the market. The podcast is also um, sponsored by uh, another company that I'm a, a shareholder in that's offering growth capital for sellers. Uh, if you're looking to grow your e-commerce business and are kind of feeling the, the cash flow crunch that sometimes happens, uh, feel free to reach out to me and I can um, help you get growth capital for your business. And lastly, if you're looking to exit your business, um, reach out to me uh, as well and I can help you sort of uh, navigate it um, as well as I'm currently working with uh, an investor that's acquiring um, businesses so I can help make some um, connections for you as well. I hope you enjoy this podcast with um, some of the uh, key members of the uh, Thrasio team and as we sort of dive in into um, what is happening currently in the market and around some marketing um, and enjoy the podcast. Get started um, is we'll just go around, um, have everybody introduce themselves um, and then we'll get started with the discussion. And if you have a particular question that you want to um, ask you can also dm me on um, on instagram and i'll be i'll be checking the um, the messages on instagram as well during during the chat we'll try to go for somewhere around 60 minutes um, and get this going so um we'll just take um we'll just take a, a minute to each introduce ourselves before we get into the uh into the discussion so my name is liran hirschkorn i host the amazon sellers club here i'm also the uh, CEO and founder of Incrementum Digital, which is um, uh, Amazon-focused marketing and advertising um, agency. 
I've been in the e-commerce and selling on Amazon space for the last uh, six, seven years. Um, I'll uh, pass it over to my good friend, Casey Goss, uh, to introduce himself. Hey, Leon. Uh, yeah, Leon, Chris, thanks so much for having us. Uh, my name is Casey. About six and a half years ago, I started a software company in the space called Firewatch. Helped uh, tens of thousands of brands drive over $10 billion in sales on Amazon. A lot of cool experience, both on the like tactical keyword research, product research, helping drive keyword ranking, as well as just building relationships in the space. So we get to work with brands such as Sony to large nine-figure sellers. And uh, in uh, March of 2020, I left Launch and joined Thrasio in April full-time. I am the uh, VP of SEO there. My main job is, is making sure that Thrasio's products are ranking as well as possible on Amazon and as well as Google. Awesome. Uh, Jonathan. Hey everyone, uh, thanks for having me today. Uh, John Hefter, Senior Vice President and Founding Team Member at Thrasio. Um, I oversee our general brand strategy, product launch, and creative across all of our brands. And uh, that's the sort of stuff that, that really excites me. I love positioning brands, particularly on Amazon. It's a space where there's so much territory for growth. Um, and I look forward to a fruitful discussion. And my name is Claudette Wine, and I've been a seller for a number of years. Um, I think since 2015-ish, and um, my background is uh, I did investment banking and have also done a lot of contract manufacturing out of Malaysia and China. So I have a little bit of knowledge there and most recently uh, acquired a business with uh, my business partner, uh, Ryan Moran, uh, in skincare. And that's what uh, we've been doing in the last couple of years. On to you, Chris. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, my name is Chris Yates with Centurica, and we are a due diligence provider uh, for organizations that are acquiring uh, digitally focused businesses, kind of in the, let's just say, six-figure to uh, low, low nine-figure range. And this, this, uh, but most of our acquisitions that we work on are kind of in that uh, mid-seven-figure range. Uh, we've helped people acquire uh, several hundred million dollars in Amazon uh, accounts, and uh, in addition to Centurica, I also am the founder of Rhodium Weekend, which is an in-person event. <laughs> if it weren't for COVID, it would be um, that I do once a year. And there's also a, an online community um, made up of other digital business owners, uh, kind of in that, I guess you'd say, seven to nine-figure range. Cool. Awesome. Thank you, Chris. Uh, Chris, I think you have a little bit of um, feedback on on uh, your uh, audio, by the way. Um, so I'll kick this off. Um, both Clement and I kind of came with a with a heavy list of questions. Um, I think I, I also polled some, some people within our Facebook group. Um, and one of the questions I, I like to sort of start off with um, for either Casey or Jonathan, um, somebody had a, um, a good question, which I think will also be interesting to kind of hear about, which is um, they would love to hear about the fastest growing business um, that you were able to scale once, uh, once Dragio acquired it. Um, and then how you're able to do that. And then maybe also just touch on the, uh, one of Clement's first questions was, how do you call yourselves audibly? Is it the ratio or the ratio? 
I think the real questions, the, the real, yeah, that's the, the, the heavy duty questions. Um, so if you want to, if you want to clarify and then also, um, maybe tell us, uh, start off with, with kind of a story of an acquisition, um, uh, and the, maybe the, the fastest growing acquisition that, uh, Thrasio has been able to make. Sure. So in case when you start, then I go next. Yeah. Let me take the, uh, Thrasio. So it's, it's, it's actually Thrasio. Um, and there was a comment on, should we move to Thrasio.com? Cause we have the domain and, you know, someone said we should, because some people still call us Thra Thrasio and someone mentioned your name, Liron, literally in our Slack. Um, cool. so I'm, not, sorry I'm, to call you out, I'm glad to be, uh, I'm glad to be mentioned among, uh, among your Slack channel. You're that well known in the senior leadership. Zone. <laughs> Just want to point that out. Nice. All right, I'll, I'll pass it on to you. Sure. Yeah, and it's uh, and everyone calls me John too, so it's Thrasio, and I'm John. Uh, Jonathan's a full name, but no one uses that. Um, look, we've had a lot of success stories for a wide variety of reasons. Um, so, you know, one of our original marquee brands, Angry Orange, we we took that from a two million dollar top line business to pacing at about 30, although we've had some stockout issues that might be pushing that down a little bit. Um, that brand, I think, really was led by a, a complete revamping of, of the branding, which just was not solid. It was a great product with branding that was subpar, to say the least, and the product offerings were limited. And, uh, you know, we sort of turned that one around. And the day we switched over the packaging, uh, sales just skyrocketed and it really hasn't happened since we've had some other ones that were just a function of the business owners not being terrific at, at that thing that was really important. So, you know, we've taken some brands that were spending, this is a large one too. This is a $25 million brand that we acquired. They were spending 3% on PPC. Um, and, you know, we've moved it up to 14% and we also managed their inventory much better than they were doing before. And just those activities alone were enough to really uh, grow the brand significantly. Every story for each brand we acquire is a little bit different. What we do find, though, it's sort of universal, is that most brands that we acquire, they're small businesses with just a few key people, uh, generally, who run it. And when you're just a few people, you can't be great at everything. So one of the things we do is we just put every business through a conveyor belt and we make sure that the supply chain is optimized, the, you know, that we, if the DTC website is appropriate, we have it going that there's affiliate relationships, that there's branding that's being redone, PPC is optimized. And that's really, the secret sauce is really not a magic bullet, but rather a, a series of small events that lead to great changes, which is why now we're, we average about 158% the first year that we acquire a business. Um, as our product launch team grows and expands, that will pay, play a major role in the future of the brands that we have. Um, we expect that to um, hopefully improve on the tremendous growth that we've already seen across our portfolio. Just to add some color on the, the $25 million example with, where we don't have PPC. So, so we essentially kind of doubled sales within about a 30-day period, at least one night. And, uh, you know, I was looking at kind of demand plan for the year and, and we're hoping to hit close to 100 with the potential of, of going over. Um, and I think the brand isn't even a year old at this point. Now, Chris, you've, um, and maybe it would be helpful for you, especially um, 
that you've seen a lot of what's been happening in the industry, um, especially given the services that you provide. Can you speak a little to like what surprised you over the course of the growth of Thrasio and um, have you seen um, what's what's the impact that you've seen on the marketplace um, with Thrasio in, in a larger context? Yeah, <clears throat> let me just check my audio better now. You're on. Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah, so they've been a real catalyst to the industry, and uh, it's been pretty amazing uh, just, just seeing the the uh, ripple effect of those guys being very publicly successful. Um, we have currently, um, you know, let's just, I, I don't know the exact number right now, but somewhere between 10 and 100 um, companies that are essentially following their lead and, and essentially uh, doing the a very similar roll-up model um, with with Amazon and off Amazon uh, businesses, and so that's led to lots and lots of uh, investor money coming into the space, <clears throat> supporting those companies who are going down that path. And um, you know, I think what we're just starting to see, you know, like actually the beginning of this year, is uh, that deal volume just really been kicking up over the last couple months, and. Um, I think that's, I don't see that slowing down at least for the next little while because a lot of these companies are really just closed their funding rounds and really just getting getting active now. Um, and so there's, you know, I don't know the exact number, but over a billion dollars in, um, you know, I think February that was raised. And so we're going to, we're going to see a lot of demand for deal flow, I think. Um, and you know, if I kind of zoom out a little bit, I'm looking at the macro environment a lot. And the big thing that I think was interesting for me over the last little bit was seeing some of the reactions to the traditional um, kind of wholesale brands that are normally selling uh, to brick and mortar retailers. So you have what, what's what the success of Thrasio, um, very similar companies kind of coming in as well. A lot of Amazon sellers doing really, really well. And then COVID layered on top of that has just sort of been like rocket fuel in, in all of this. And now what we're starting to see is these traditional brands really reacting and realizing that, you know, they, they're going to have to figure this out. And, um, you know, I've been, I've helped a couple of brands start to shift um, to direct to consumer. And it is, it is actually quite challenging because uh, those, those companies have done things for so long a, a certain way. And um, they aren't used to going direct to consume consumer. If you're, if you're shipping direct to consumer, especially, the warehouses just can't seem to handle it, things like that. Um, so Amazon becomes a really good middle step for them because it looks a lot like a, a traditional wholesale relationship. So I think all these things kind of combine is, is just, it's really, really interesting to see what's what's been happening over the last like six months post COVID. Um, and, and so now, given that there is so much cash coming into the market, uh, do you do you believe that there are the deals to support that, or uh, whether or not um, we will see um, kind of uh, our, and and I guess we've already seen this to a certain extent over the past year that the multiples have been increasing. Yeah, in just a minute here, I'll, um, I just don't have it in front of me, but I, I track um, multiples that are that have been listed with kind of the common brokers in the industry. Uh, I did see a bit of an uptick consistently throughout um, the year. You know, I think April of last year was very slow just because there was so much going on with supply chain and, and you know, un uncertainty with COVID. But, you know, com coming into like May, June, things really picked up and those multiples are, have been going up. Um, I can get the exact numbers if it's helpful, but... 
Yeah, I, I think deal flow is going to be a constraint. Um, everybody seems to have, every one of these companies seems to have has their own spin on things. Um, and I do see, you know, the ones who have substantial capital seem to be going for, you know, larger deals. And uh, lately, it seems like there's some of these deals have a big retail component to them, meaning that they're selling to, you know, Target or Costco or something like that. And they don't have you know, in some cases they have a decent Amazon pre pre uh, presence, but sometimes it's more of a, a vendor relationship with Amazon. So I'm, I'm kind of thinking that my, my assumption here is as, you know, these smaller deals get eaten up, multiples will go up. Um, some of the money will need to go to more traditional brands um, to, to do acquisitions there. And I'm seeing a little bit more of that um, just, I guess, within the last month or two here. Chris, where, where are multiples today? You know, if I have a, if I have a business doing a million dollars a year on Amazon, or um, let's take that example. And let's take the example of a business doing $5 million a year. That's mostly, that's mostly uh, Amazon focused. Um, where are, are the multiples kind of, kind of where I'm seeing is somewhere getting closer or around the four X mark. Um, and how are the deals typically structured from a upfront cash to, you know, some, potential, potential um, upside. One of the things I'm seeing um, some of the aggregators out there doing is also offering stock, not, not in the, not in the actual, uh, in, in the actual company, right? Like in the, in the aggregator sort of companies offering stock to, to the sellers to give them sort of upside in the entire, in the entire platform. But how, how are you things, how are you seeing deals getting structured today and kind of like a range of where where the multiples are for Amazon only businesses. Yeah, if you give me just um, maybe somebody else can speak for a little bit, I'll I'll pull up my um, latest data on that, um, that that we've been able to track. Most of our data is going to be on deals that are sort of uh, valued under about ten million, mm -hmm. um, because once you go above that, most of those deals aren't really sort of a, a publicly listed um, asking price. So <clears throat> I'll pull that up in just a minute. Um, if, if you can sort of jump over to somebody else and, and I'll answer the other I can dive in a little bit, at least anecdotally, sort of what's been happening uh, with us uh, as the market has shifted. Um, you know, certainly multiples are going up, particularly on the lower end of the spectrum, at least what we've discovered. And a lot of it is the people who are entering the market, these new M&A aggregators are looking to put their toe in the water. So we're seeing a lot of action um, you know, sometimes deals will have seven people at the table, let's say on, on a smaller size deal. Once we get over like that $3 million mark, uh, the, the market's a little bit more stable. We sort of expect this to, to be like it is for a while. And although you have a lot of people entering the space with capital that needs to deploy, their ability to do deal flow, uh, you know, let's say, for example, like weekend, where we could do four or five deals in a week if we really, really had to. Um, just limits the amount of output that exists. And what we've also found, and we think this is a little bit of a soon to be post COVID bump where people are getting out while they're getting is good. The deal flow on our side has increased dramatically. Um, I mean, we are far and away as far as our deal flow is concerned, uh, far, we're more ahead than we even imagined just four months ago. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, for, for example, uh, we're, we're about to hit our, what our Q2 goals were for acquisitions. 
and we're, we're already there with 80 leads in, in the pipeline. So um, we see this market is growing pretty significantly. It's sort of like, uh, again, I, I talked about this sometimes, it's, we're not really in a mercantile environment where there's a limited amount of the pie. Um, so many Amazon businesses have grown significantly that uh, there's just more possible deals to go around. Um, as far as how the multiples are structured, we try to, we, you know, we, we've always been a burnout for the most part company. So most of our deals have always had some sort of burnout associated with it. Our goal now is to get people by the time the deal is done in the six to seven X range, if everything goes according to plan um, with our upfront multiples, they, they range greatly depending on how the deal is structured, but you know, let's say two and a half to three plus, depending on the size of the business. And as the businesses get above the $15 million range, those numbers can go up significantly. Got it. So when you, when, when you say six to seven X, it's basically assuming a certain growth rate um, off the, off the original sort of from, from where the seller is today. And so ultimately it being, you know, if you double the business, then the three X become becomes a six X. Correct. And there's all sorts of gradients. And what we try to do is just customize every deal to uh, really meet the seller's risk threshold and their desires. Um, some people want cash right away. Uh, so we'll just, you know, uh, arrange a deal. So it's more front because they're, they're starting their next thing and they need the money. You know, they're going from nail polish to treadmills mm -hmm. and they, they need the cash injection. So we might structure deal entirely differently than someone who said, Hey, I've got 30 products on my roadmap that I want to launch. Um, and I want to get value out of it, then we'll back end the deal more for people like that. And what's the typical range in terms of the earnouts? Uh, what percentages are uh, do you typically do at Thrasio? Um, so it, I mean, it, it really depends. We do everything from a stabilization period, which means an earnout just based on the business remaining flat. Uh, and then we have uh, earnouts that go generally from one to two years. And there's a large gradient of sort of profit splitting based on sort of, you know, that's, that happens in the negotiating room. But our, a lot of our deals aren't necessarily fixed. It's just at the end right now, we're, we're falling into this sort of six, seven X range with everything all in uh, seems to be our, our new normal, and, so to speak. And Jonathan, if, if a seller, um, let, let's say I have, a, I have a $10 million business and I think, you know, in the next 12 months, I could take that. $10 million business revenue business and double it to 20 million. So I don't want to sell. I want to take some chips off the table because, you know, maybe my entire net worth is, is in this business. Um, how, you know, um, how likely is it that, that, you know, a company like uh, Thrasio would want to, to let's say buy 40 or 50%, you have to take a majority stake. Um, are you interested in those kind of deals where a seller wants to, you know, cash out somewhat, but they don't want to sell the entire business? We, we would ideally, eventually we'll, we'll want those type of deals to hit our books. So we could make an investment. So the seller could take some cash off the table and then put it back into their business. And maybe we'd make an arrangement to uh, have a, a, a put call at a peer, after a period of two or three years where we're able to then acquire the business whole mm -hmm. on a, a pre predetermined multiple. Um, so we're looking into the creative structures like that, and uh, we are we're we're fairly open to them. 
can you speak a little bit more um, about uh, six, six to seven times is obviously a lot higher, but I, I guess it's based on kind of a future projection as well. Um, but what are you basing that off of? Like, um, is that how discretionary are those discretionary earnings? And, um, and can you speak a little bit to how you think about how you look at that base number? Sure, I, I can a little bit. I mean, this this is more uh, of, of Ken's territory now, and long since off the uh, the, the deal team. Um, but you know, we, we still want to we paying a little bit less upfront is obviously beneficial for us because it allows us to deploy more capital. So if if we can have an arrangement with the seller where we're only paying two and a half to three upfront. Um, that's an ideal scenario for us and would make a potential partnership much more viable. What we then do is basically construct a business plan where we look at the things we think we can optimize, whether it's PPC, whether it's product launches, a classic rebrand, supply chain improvements. And we basically make a, a, a prediction as to where we think the business will be in comparison to every other, you know, 105 businesses we've acquired previously. Uh, and then we'll create some sort of uh, profit sharing model as we go and fix all the things that we think might need fixing. Um, if we see some businesses are already fairly optimized and there's, you know, we have more limited growth expectations for them uh, and we'll tie together maybe a little bit more of a, a, a modest earnout. But for the most part, our earnouts are, are on cap for the period of um of, of which the, the the deal structure is framed right so if we if we have if we had one like our 25 million dollar business that will do 100 million dollars this year uh their earnout multiple could be you know significantly higher than six or seven because we've taken the business and we've optimized it and i think really why our closing rate is so high on the deal side is um we really know what we're doing operationally and we've spent a ton of time building the systems and running Amazon businesses ourselves. So we kind of know what to expect and we know how to put an, an honest deal together and sort of give the seller the sensation of that bird in the hand feeling where they know the type of outcome they're going to get. One place is where I'm fearful. I actually think it's great that there's more money coming to the space. I want sellers to get the most from the businesses that they've built. I, I worry a little bit about the operational chops of some people entering this space. And uh, I think in this gold rush environment where a lot of deals that are put forth out there are earnouts based, um, people have to be cognizant of, of who they're sort of, um, you know, who they're going to be dealing with because uh, it can be a real nightmare if you hand over your business to someone with very limited Amazon experience. Jonathan, is there is there a point where um, is there a point where somebody's business is too big? I, we we have a client. I have one of our clients. Uh, is, will do more than more than fifty million this year on Amazon. They asked me, you know, are we are we too big? You know, in terms of like, do do they need to look at a, at a sort of another type? You know, a publicly traded company, another strategic buyer. You know, in the space for that kind of size seller uh is there a certain like limit in terms of revenue that thrasio will look at i know this doesn't apply to, to most people but 
um, sure. you know, or, or, or will you, or will Thrasio then look to bring in partners, let's say on a, on a deal like that? So uh, the answer to the second one is, is, is possibly, you know, particularly if we're entering a domain where maybe our level of ex expertise is, is not exactly where we want, want it to be. Right. So if we were to get into food stuffs or something like that, we'd probably bring in a partner who's done it before and done an exceptional job at it. Uh, as far as the top line businesses we will consider, um, right now, 200 million is about the top of our, maybe a little bit over that, but somewhere in that range is what we look at. So um, yeah, 50 million is, is certainly in the range. And, and as we progress, we're looking to fold in more deals like that along with our current core business, which is you know, who we are. Uh, I don't know if you've had a chance to to find out that uh, data data yet, Chris. Uh, but just flash. So, yeah. So just to give you, uh, I have to add a few caveats here um, because the you know obviously the data that we're sharing is um, essentially what we do is we scrape uh, data and we have data feeds from different brokerages in the industry, and uh, typically the brokers will list a business with um, something called seller's discretionary earnings, which I'm, I'm, we don't have to get into that right now, but it's basically EBITDA plus some adjustments. And um, so when we talk about multiples, it's, it's gonna be on a multiple of an annual uh, discretionary earnings number typically. And what our system does is able to, to, to find out when a listing was either marked pending or sold by the broker. And what we're able to do is look at that you know, quote unquote, asking price um, and determine uh, what the multiple is based on uh, those businesses that went under, you know, that status of either being pending or sold with the brokerage. So that's, there is some limitations because we only have essentially asking price here. We don't know what the business sold for. We don't know what the terms are. One of my, one of my mentors always told me, uh, you know, it's not the price, it's the terms. Um, and, and the thing I always say is like, you know, I'll do any deal anytime if you let me name the terms, you can name the price all you want. So, um, so the, like, I, I just also want to caveat that um, the multiples are going to be a blended of all of the quality of businesses here. So in theory, a business that sold should be of, of at least a reasonable amount of quality, but there are some businesses that are, that are extremely valuable. Maybe they have recurring revenue, good diversity, um, different things like that. They're going to obviously go for a higher multiple. Um, ones that are maybe like, you know, single, single product um, type business with heavy reliance and uh, a lot of performance issues on Amazon, they're going to go for a much lower. So we're talking about here is a blended multiple. But just to give you rough numbers for 2020, uh, what we have right now in our data, stuff that was about under 100K in discretionary earnings annually was about a 2.5. Stuff that was kind of between 100K and 500K was about a 3. Uh, 500K to 1 million, probably about a, a 3.25, 3.5, somewhere around there. And then over a million was a four. <laughs> um, and again, limitations on this data, you know, we 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 typically don't aggregate a lot of stuff that is, is there's not a ton of stuff that goes over like 7 million within our data set. There is some stuff that does, but um, there, there, so the, anyway, point being is there are some limitations to this. And be really careful with averages. We just anecdotally speaking, kind of like what Jonathan was talking about, we saw a um, a pet listing that was a really good Amazon business in the pet space, and it went for like a five plus multiple, um, and it was only like a couple years old. 
So there are certain businesses that have attributes and, you know, kind of uh, competitive environments where they go for much, much higher than this. So I would just be careful with, you know, quoting too many averages. Uh, so, that, so all those caveats, this is kind of like a rough number of what you might expect um, from a financial buyer uh, who is, you know, in, in our industry, it might be somebody like a Thrasio, but it could just be, you know, somebody coming out of the corporate America trying to buy, uh, buy their way into a job using an SBA loan or something like that. Uh, and everything kind of in between, including private equity bolt-ons, including, um, you know, other sort of just entrepreneurs. And Chris, if I could jump off that for two seconds, you know, some brands, for whatever reason, they get a little FOMO zeitgeist thing going and their multiples will go off the charts. Just like you said, it'll be a real anomaly. Um, that also exists on the other side. Uh, occasionally, people will have a very strange assortment of odd products across multiple categories with a complicated supply chain and so on and so forth. And they still built, let's say, a $5 million business, but some of those will still go for a 2.0 upfront payment because it's really hard to find suitors for them. So I, I think your range is spot on kind of what we're seeing at Thrasio, but every business is different and there's so many things that can affect evaluation. It's it's unwise to get yourself anchored to uh, to a number that in a lot of ways is just sort of, uh, you know, picked out of a very loose data set. Would you generally say that anything in consumables is naturally, Chris, you mentioned a pet brand. Um, I imagine maybe it's pet consumables. Is anything generally in like supplements, health and beauty, food, grocery, et cetera, that could be a consumable product just inherently more valuable? I, I think that's generally fair, um, but not always. There's, there's so many factors that can go into it. I mean, if someone sent me a, a supplement business and uh, all of their products were at a 4.3 and they were in very competitive categories with emerging competitors, uh, I might look at that business and say, geez, this is, this is pretty risky. The moat just isn't there. And for us, someone else might pay a lot for it, but for us, we'll say, we'll, we'll pass on it. Right. Or um, maybe they, they haven't gotten all of their uh, um, their supply chain issues and certifications aligned up. Now, you might have one that has like a really good uh, brand presentation to it and product quality and the review modes are awesome. In that case, then, yes, you'd certainly because of the lifetime value potential of that brand, it's certainly something that would be uh, taken with a lot more seriousness on our side. And just to avoid um, uh, putting you too much on the spot, Chris, just to clarify, do you currently do any business with Therasio? I do not. And so then my, my follow-on question is, um, how, how do you feel um, Therasio has been perceived in the market uh, and has that evolved over time? Because um, I've heard uh, through the grapevine that um, there's they were perceived as very hard negotiators, at least when they first came came out onto the market, and uh, to the point that um, it was some brokers would avoid them. But I know now that um, that hasn't been as much the case, obviously, and, and they've quite got quite the pipeline. Yeah, I you know I haven't really I I, I think. I've, you asked two people, they'll give you a different answer. You asked three people, they'll give you a different answer, right? And um, I'll tell you my my opinion, uh, you know, just kind of being in the industry and, and hearing things is 
what I think Thrasio is doing very, very well is doing these types of things here. There, there being um, sort of a preeminent uh, uh, voice within the industry and providing value and being, you know, I, I think in a way, if they're the first thought when somebody thinks of selling my Amazon business, like that, that is what they're doing really, really well right now. Um, so I think that, I don't know if this was intentional or not, but I think that early days, everybody has a high degree of skepticism for somebody achieving a billion dollar valuation in the amount of time that they did. And I think that um, we've seen other uh, failed organizations in the digital space that just couldn't handle the ops of uh, large scale, um, you know, kind of digital businesses. And you know, wasn't great outcomes. So I think there, there are people who have a high degree of skepticism out there in, in the world. And, um, you know, I, I think early on, I heard, uh, you know, people talking about the, uh, the multiple wasn't very high, but when you unpack that a little bit, um, that wasn't the full story because there was a lot more to the deal structure. Again, going back to, it's not the price, it's the terms um, that, that they were structuring in there. So I think, you know, that perception early on, I think came from a healthy skepticism it came from people hearing about the uh, the upfront payments um, without really probably getting the full picture on the rest of the terms on there. So that's kind of my my just you know outside perspective on it. Again, not not I'm not um, doing doing business with. Look, I, I think that's that's totally fair. And and the reality is, in in the early days, you know, debt's expensive, right? And we had to show our investors that we were making prudent business decisions and. We weren't going to allow ourselves to get too emotionally uh, connected with any given brand if the numbers didn't work out. As we've raised more money and restructured our, our debt, it's allowed for a lot more freedom in the space, that along with some natural competition shifting the market. So one of the things that was never really mentioned, though, as, as Chris would have said, is, is we were always really open to creative deal structures. We wanted to make custom deals for individual sellers to make them feel as comfortable as possible doing business with us. And then it was incumbent on us to close the deals quickly and to do what we say after the deal so our reputation could continue in a, in a relatively positive light. Now, is that, um, and to, to that end, I was also going to ask kind of like, yeah, so your, your debt uh, costs have gone down pretty dramatically, and you are probably the low cost uh, people who have that debt, which I guess has that meant for you being more open to much higher valuations? And I guess it sounds like the answer must be yes, because you're entertaining much larger deals where multiples are, are, are much higher. But on top of that, I guess, like, is there um, do you want to be perceived in a certain way in the market or like uh, in the sense that um, you want to be the first person that a uh, somebody with a deal comes to because they know they'll get fair terms or do you do you feel like it's more so in for for in, in the workspace for instance um, you have if you go to an established company, um, the expectation is that you probably, with a with a good name, you probably won't get the best um, the, the best salary. Um, in the same way, if somebody approaches Thrasio, do you should they expect that um, they really do need to keep their eyes open and um, shop the deal? Our goal is to be fair, fast, 
do what we say and provide sellers with uh, meaningful upside that they can rely on because we have the operational chops. So for us, it's this general sense of just, you know, selling your business is a, is a very emotional process whether people want to admit that or not. Our goal is to create an environment where um, we take away a lot of that agile, that worry, that stress of going through a six month deal process. And we'll, you know, oftentimes get to terms very quickly when we see something we like, and we'll have a deal closed in 30 to 45 days. Um, we've done 105 of them before, whatever number we're at now. So we know how to do the process professionally, smoothly. And then when someone hands over the keys, they know the business is going to be uh, operated in a manner that will allow the earn out portion of, of the deal to uh, come to fruition. So we want to be reliable and trusted and it's still contingent on us to, to make fair dealings and to not get over our skis and, and overpay for things. Um, but we definitely want people to enjoy upside. And I want more of what's already happened to us this year is we've had uh, two sellers who come back to us with their second business, which is a testament, I think, to um, you know the type of work we do and the, and the company we, we are always aspiring to be. Are there any adjustments that when people come to you with a deal that uh, people tend to be a little bit surprised about um, on, on the seller side? Um, it's a good question. That definitely would be more of a, a Ken question uh, than, than it is for me. I'm just not in the, in the midst of that right now to see what trends exist. There certainly are things I, I would imagine with uh, addbacks and such that I'm just not privy to directly anymore. Maybe more generally, Chris, would you would you happen to know for that context? Uh, yeah, can you just clarify, you know, kind of the question? So under seller discretionary earnings, obviously there are addbacks, um, but there can be takeaways. Um, and um, are there any takeaways that or even addbacks? And I'm I'm thinking probably um, and maybe Jonathan, you can speak to this too. The idea of inventory is, is one big one that people uh, just don't know how to handle because for instance, um, inventory can fluctuate wildly for a lot of these businesses. So, and at the same time, I know um, Jonathan you've, um, and um, I think Ken talked to the fact that one of the things you want people to do is run their business as if they they were still running it and not um, shortchange on things like inventory, which can impact those sales if you if you stock it. But um, how how is inventory thought of in valuation? And also, like, are there any other things like inventory that people get surprised about, which really impact or can have a significant impact in valuation? Yeah. So I'll give a couple notes here. So. Number one is uh, one thing that we'll look at closely is what's happened to new um, ASIN launches and what's happened to ASINs that, you know, their, their sales have declined and try to get the full picture. There may be situations where, for instance, there was a short term stock out um, and that might have happened mid year for a period of time. Um, you know, there might be an adjustment 
you know, assuming for, for somebody like Drasio who could maybe do a much better job at supply chain management, uh, they might make the assumption that, okay, well, let's just assume that, that that never happened, right? So that could be, I'm not sure if you're if you're talking about addbacks to revenue or expenses, but it could be it could be uh, uh, something that goes the the opposite way you would normally expect. Um, and then you know on the flip side, you might have a product that for whatever reason uh, was selling really well early in the year and then midway through the year, you know it sort of sort of just died off for for whatever reason, right? Um, it, a lot of times buyers will not take into account the sales of that product at the beginning of the year because it's not going to continue going forward. So that's number one piece. <laughs> number two, the, the typical line item on the expense side or the um, sales expense side of the business is, is basically the cost of goods sold. So when, when we get adjustments there, it's commonly because something has happened uh, in terms of how the landed costs are calculated that um, happened maybe near the end of the period that we're looking back on. So as an example, let's say that at the end of 2020, your supplier raised your um, your, your costs for, for your goods, or maybe um, you know the, the uh, somebody caught on to the fact that you were using the wrong tariff codes and uh, you were getting a better deal on tariff than you, you should have. Things like that, um, you know, you'll have to readjust those types of situations based on what this would look like for the buyer going forward. And it's a pretty simple process. You you know, once you have a, a per ASIN kind of landed cost, um, you just make that adjustment based on the number of those units that were sold throughout the year. Um, and that also can affect the actual inventory. So most of the deals we see um, for, for kind of traditional financial buyers, they're, they're buying these businesses uh, on a multiple of discretionary earnings and an inventory is valued basically at landed cost separately from that multiple, right? So um, the value of that inventory is really important because it can be substantial, especially for a growing Amazon company, right? Um, and what buyers are often looking at closely is how much of that inventory is actually marketable, meaning if they're, they, they, have, they, they overstocked um, and then they didn't have the demand they expected, um, you know, commonly buyers aren't going to want to pay for that. And if they do pay for it, they might want to pay for it on a consignment basis or something like that. Um, so those are a few examples of, of things that, that can be pretty big needle movers. Agreed, Chris. I wanted to jump over a little bit, um, maybe for, for Casey to talk. So some of the sellers that are in the room can can hear. Um, I know, Casey, you, you run the, the SEO team. Um, what are some of the things that maybe could, that you could share in terms of um, how uh, Thrasio goes about in terms of launching launching products? Uh, in terms of driving ranking, um, obviously there's there's probably some secret sauce in terms of, you know, not being able to share. But like, how have things changed? How much external traffic um, are you using as part of that uh, launch process? Or what can sellers take away, um, maybe from some of the learnings you've had in terms of um, launching and driving keyword rankings? Yeah, uh, great question. I mean, in general, I think launching products hasn't changed too much over the years the, the recipe is essentially have a good product have a good review funnel have a great listing drive a bunch of external traffic um and and that's more or less what we're able to do at the seo we just have access to uh, i guess more leverage to help make sure that we're driving more external traffic and, and doing it you know effectively i think that yeah, I mean, it, in terms of takeaways, like, 
yeah, I, I don't think that I have any real secret sauce. Again, like we focus on good, good, great product in a great market, which you know I don't think there's any secret sauce there. We do have some secret sauce in terms of how we're discovering these products. And the larger our catalog, the more kind of opportunities for us to launch, like you know, ancillary products or to launch strategic variations on existing listings and to use them as kind of real estate pieces and use new variations to go after kind of new keyword opportunities. The example I like to use is, let's say that I'm, I've been selling a uh, silicone spatula and I have never been able to go after the keywords related to um, stainless steel spatula. Well, you know, looking for your basically launching this new stainless steel spatula on your existing listing where you already have review quantity where you already competitive review quantity decent at least uh where you already have sales velocity it's going to be a really nice way for you to get this stainless steel listing off the ground but not only that but it also allows you to have this new competitive advantage on your silicone spatula listing because now sales velocity is higher uh, it's going to help your review velocity increase and you know overall it's just going to uh, build up the flywheel but it, i mean in terms of launching new products at, at Razio, like you know i like to brag on our kind of operational capabilities we have more in terms of external traffic than you know i've ever had access to when launching a product so more than just you know giveaway or rebates which we still factor in if it's like a new parent listing mm-hmm. um you know we have access to uh you know email lists from our existing brands which we get to layer in there we have access to you know affiliates or major publishers that can help us get a boost and just again having a nice listing that's going to help to improve that conversion we're trying to do everything so you know we, we use coupons we use price drops post uh you know promotional period to give us that little 15 percent off badge and to help sustain um you know sales performance on the back end we're running every you know buy one get one kind of uh buy one get a discount promotion you know coupon on the listing we're, we're, we're doing everything but again there's no new hack or, or, or cool tip that I, I can share. I mean, that's that's kind of the secret of Thrasio is that uh, there is no secret. We're just able to do everything super well. And we, we just apply that same kind of principle to our new products. And and I think go ahead, John. I was gonna say like Cam and Casey really nailed something here. One of our core tenets of product launch is leveraging the assets that we already have. I, I tell David who runs my product launch team and I'm like bring me a stupid smart idea. So we built a tool um, that helps us sort frequently block together items. And one of the first things that kicked out was we sell two salt and pepper grinders. And it became very clear to us that we should launch Himalayan pink salt, which will be coming out in a few weeks. Then what we can do is provide coupons to our best selling salt and pepper grinders to push to the listing over Himalayan salt, we made sure we spent a ton of time on branding, built a beautiful listing, and we'll do all those other tactics that Casey just said. And when you do all those things, your chances of success are are phenomenal. Another thing too is creating meaningful differentiation for your product offering. And I think it's another thing that's overlooked. 
you know, if you're going to launch a lemon squeezer and you're just pulling off the shelf and try to sell it, that's a really hard uphill battle. But if you actually um, provide more value with the product that you're selling, so I'll give an example, one we're doing right now, we took our 24 ounce spray, Angry Orange, uh, it's a pet deodorizer product. People frequently buy together with these UV flashlights. So we patented like what essentially is akin to a deer scope to put the UV flashlight on top of the 24 ounce spray, um, which will create an entirely new novel product that will be compelling and will allow us to leverage two uh, sets of search volume for this particular product. And then we can peel off as a variation, just the scope itself and sell it alone. So what we're doing is we're just like, we're already, we're starting these projects basically on second base instead of at home plate. And it just allows for, for better chances of success. And I would say for everyone out there, at least according to Jungle Scout data, 47% of all products launched by third-party sellers are just totally white space. I sell a lemon squeezer and now I'm going to launch a spatula or whatever, right? Um, if you have an ASIN that has a has real clout to it, you should do everything in your power to maximize the sessions that you're getting to launch future projects. Me meaning your next your next ASIN should probably be a variation on that same listing. If you, yes, you know, and I would say it's like at least go through that process before you go back into the white space realm again, because your your hit rate is just going to be seventy five percent or better, right? And and likely higher than that as opposed to just pulling something off the shelf and hoping that it works. So people should be mindful of it. And, you know, all the brands that we've seen, some do a decent job of it, but most really don't. And so we see that as a, a big opportunity that every seller should look into. What do you, what do you think? Sorry. So, sorry, Clement. Um, I want, I, I wanted to, to follow up with two questions. One um, for Casey in terms of if there was one external platform, um, so if I'm going to do a launch, I'm going to do a bunch of rebates, th things like that, aggressive PPC. If there was one external platform, let's say Google, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, influencers, um, would you say Google search is sort of the closest thing in terms of like targeted um, traffic that you would utilize to drive? And then a um, follow-up question to that is, generally sort of without going into a specific category or product, how much money do you think I need today to launch a product besides for the inventory cost? What do you think I need for marketing um, for the first, you know, couple of months on a product? Good question. Um, so, so to question number one, so outside of, of rebates, so I would still say that rebates are, are king. Just, they're just, yeah, they are. It's, I hate it. Um, but you know, I'm working so hard to get away, away from rebates, but it's like literally been the story of my life. I've been trying to get away from giveaways since I got into the space, like, you know, in 2014. So still here. Uh, so outside of giveaways, I would say, you know, it, for the average seller on a new product launch influencers is definitely going to be your best approach. You know, you, you like. Some friends of mine were showing me some results yesterday on they they paid a influencer $350 flat fee and they've already gotten like between 30 and 40 sales in the first, you know, 48 hours on which most sales are gonna come in the first 48 hours. Mm -hmm. But 
40 sales on a brand new product, no reviews from an influencer on a $350 flat fee. Like, you know, that is much, and they're using a two-step URL. Like that's, you know, way more effective than um, a giveaway or much more cost-effective. And they were full-price purchases. They, they, they weren't, you know, rebidding them on the back end. The influencer is doing And was that on like Instagram or was that Instagram, TikTok? What do you know what platform that was on? So the, the main platform was TikTok, but uh, the influencer also posted the link on, on uh, Instagram. And I think they said something else, but I, I know Instagram as well. So like Google PPC, so Google PPC is outside of like, you know, the obvious things like updating your listing and, and stuff like that. Google PPC is our, our biggest SEO ever. Um, again, outside of like obvious things at, at Thrasio. But you can't really do Google PPC on a brand new listing because, you know, your listing has to convert because these people are cold. So we go direct from Google to Amazon. So, you know, no squeeze page. We're not warming up the traffic or anything like that. And so your your listing has to be able to convert them. And, and usually that's not going to happen when you only have, you know, a handful of reviews. Uh, Facebook, just, you know, it's difficult. It can be expensive. Again, you're kind of interrupting somebody. And if you don't have any reviews, like you can try to warm them up, it's still going to be pretty expensive. Um, if you have access to, you know, affiliate blogs or, or like, you know, you want to take some time to go reach out manually to, to uh, some of these kind of publishers, usually it has to be very small time people that have products similar to yours. There's, you know, ways that you can search in Google for particular keywords plus keywords related to your, your product, identify them, you know, pay them a commission. This works, uh, you know, well in general. Um, I personally haven't tried this on brand new products, but is a good approach for existing products. So, so may if you find the right influencers, but yeah, def- definitely or the right affiliates, definitely influencers and uh, uh, external traffic, you know, the name of the game on Amazon always has been and will be in, in, unless there's some massive systemic change uh whoever can drive the the most external traffic at scale so basically profitably or as profitable as possible a quick quick question for casey on that uh are you seeing the attribution tools getting better in amazon i know they have their their beta program right now i feel like that's a huge constraint on this for a lot of people because you don't know what your money's doing Uh, i've seen people using kind of intermediary landing warm-up pages uh curious what your thoughts are around that Getting better, I, I can't speak to. I, I don't know how it started versus where it's at now. I would say that there is much to be desired about the attribution program, but it is sufficient for what we need. Casey, on, current state. on the on the launch side, and then I want to get your your answer back on the on the uh, sort of uh, marketing funds. But um, and again, I don't know if you can you can share this, but are there any? URLs specifically you should shouldn't avoid etc when it comes to um, utilize utilize for launch you know when you can't do that search find by sort of day one um yeah I mean I'll speak generally not necessarily you know from the Thrasio perspective I spend a lot of time in the space um yeah I mean two-step URLs still work like really well and um you know, at, at least in our testing, the right two-step URLs, like, you know, it, yeah, the, the right two-step URL, I, I feel like is fairly close to, to 
at parity with with search front by uh, not really sharing what that url is but <laughs> okay um, I, I won't it's actually not really in the community but yeah okay cool we'll, we'll talk um we'll talk separately um but uh okay so that's that's good information to know and then as far as um marketing budgets right i mean i think things have changed since you know we we sort of started in this amazon journey like you know 2014 as far as like how much money you need today in order to have success there's bigger money coming in um you know i, I think the reality is today that sellers do need to sort of compete at a higher level given not just you know uh thrashio uh in in the market but a lot of other acquirers that are just probably um and, and maybe even more dangerously on on other companies that don't know what they're doing that are just dumping money in right so as far as like creative etc that, that you need to compete with um so given given sort of the market shifting to significantly more you know institutional money coming in uh you're acquiring a brand you're giving it a facelift now i need to go compete with that um i think sellers need to do a better job up front with their with their listings and sort of you have to step up your game so given sort of that sort of shift happening in the market and you can't just launch a product today with a crappy listing and expect it to do well like from marketing um what what do you think i mean um you know can a few thousand dollars still get you success launching a new product or do you think you need significantly more dollars today to have a real shot yeah i mean that's a very, I guess, kind of open question from the standpoint of, you know, success is highly dependent. The definition of success is highly dependent one person to the next. Yeah, I have friends that will launch a product and, if, you know, if they if they did $1,000 in a month, they'd be, you know, totally geeked. Um, mm -hmm. So, like, it, it, and it depends on, you know, the, the size of the market. Do you want to, like, provide some parameters and then I can... Yeah, I mean... Um... I guess I guess let's say we're not. I'm not talking about the most competitive, you know, competitive categories, but but categories where you have keywords that have you know, twenty thousand searches, thirty thousand searches a month. Um, you know, have some decent search volume. Um, I would say kind of like let let's talk about some kind of mid level markets where you have people on page one doing anywhere from, you know, ten thousand a month up to hundred thousand a month. Yeah. Well, I think winning. A, a market is going to become very, very difficult. You know, I mean, it's it's already very difficult, but it's just going to just, uh, yeah, it, it, the difficulty is going to be, you know, exponential, even from where it's at, most likely. Because, again, you have companies like Thrasio, and, and, and there will be companies, I believe, that, you know, get to the operation, or we believe that will get to the you know, not, not quite where we're at, but we'll get to a, a high degree of operational excellence. And, you know, these companies and, and you, you already see it in, in some sellers that we both know and whatever, mm -hmm. um, that can just deploy so many different strategies that are, you know, profitable or break even or require very little effort in order to gain some kind of sales advantage. So if you're pushing your D to C, for example, you're going to see some nice spillover onto Amazon, which is going to help your keyword ranking, your review velocity, and so forth, uh, and you know overall sales, which will be difficult for someone that isn't doing that to compete. And 
you know, it's not like they're losing money in doing this. They're actually making money in, in, you know, with this advantage to give one simple example. So imagine that plus three to five other things that are all happening profitably to give this person an advantage that you aren't even doing. Um, and they have a good product, you know? So like that, it, it will be very, very difficult to, to win. Um, I think in a space. Wouldn't, yeah, John. wouldn't you say, uh, Casey, though, there's still, I still think there's a ton of opportunity in, in the niche, right? Spaces, you know, so I'm, I'm up in Vermont right now. I'm looking at my fireplace and, you know, maybe, maybe fireplace bellows don't sell very well. And there's weird gaskets for, uh, you know, industrial items that are, that really have poor competition. That's another thing we've really found. And some of this has been related to products that are gated. So they require multiple certifications, but we'll go look at an industrial product and we'll just see like a sea of five gallon white paint buckets, right? With just the product name on it. And you click on the list thing and there's just one picture. There's still places like that where, um, where opportunity exists for very little marketing costs. But it goes back to my previous point of, you know, when you wanted to hit a, a really strong ROI horizon, if you are running off a variation of your product, your, your marketing investments, it's, it's almost nil, right? Or it's, it's, it's very small in comparison. So I think that if people are just can step away from being overly aspirational and can just look for little things and get little nibble wins, then you can win. You can also win by just, um, being smarter about your product offering. And we still see that as, as being a, a tremendous amount of potential upside. So I gave the example of the A orange with the UV flashlight, but maybe someone could sell a, you know, an industrial cleaner and the UV flashlight in a, in a combo package and the UV flashlight costs two bucks or whatever it is for the cogs. And you can basically make a, a, a bundle offering to enter a space and perform relatively well. There's, there's ways around it. And I, I always just, before I enter any space, I always really like to take a hard look at the competitive landscape and just say, is there any edge here as small as it might be, if it's like an auto product and I can throw in some, uh, hazard reflectors to make the offering seem more compelling. Well, then I have a chance to enter it with, without getting aggressive with marketing overall for us though. Yes. We, we commit to pretty aggressive marketing spends, everything from, you know, doing the branding and creative and packaging, uh, in an up, upscale manner, the amount of investment we do in giveaways and all the other activities that we take. Um, cause we're really looking at our, 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 we don't really care if our ROI horizon is four months or eight months. We just want a good, good outcome in the year. And what's the, yeah, I, sorry. What's the framework? Uh, in which you kind of set your budget and maybe that's um, maybe that helps to speak a little bit to Lira's, although um, also knowing that you guys can kill it far better than uh, I guess your, your average news, news song. Framework in what sense, like how, how we put together our, our, our plan for launch and from the cost perspective. Yes. Yeah. So uh, generally we, what we do is, is every, any product we, we launch, we have a pretty complex scorecard that talks about, uh, you know, market viability, where we want to land in the market, where we think we can get to, uh, where our real mark differentiation is or, or why we think this product will be uh, a winner. 
generally our our break-even point that we're sort of satisfied with on a white space product is, is an average of about six months to break even profitability. So we're pretty aggressive when it comes to uh, you know providing coupons, giveaways, various other promotional activities because we want to do is show sustained success beyond the honeymoon period uh, that will allow us to get rank and then and then really we get to see where we are. So occasionally too. And, and, Go ahead, Larry. No, so so uh, as you're talking, I'm thinking, you know, do sellers need to expand their mind a little bit to this notion of like, you know, I need to like month two, I need to, you know, I need to break even, or, you know, like, do, do they need to expand their their you know their thought process a little bit on on the long term, the long game, um, as opposed to you know, if this doesn't break even in two months, you know, I'm ditching the product. They should. I mean, I, the way I look at it, Larry, it's like, you know, you're, you're playing one to $2 hold them and you got 50 bucks in your bank account and, and the sort of like the types of pensive moves you might make. Whereas if you had, I don't know, a million bucks in your bank account, right? Like uh, you, you need to think long-term and you need to be willing to commit to, to investing in your products and committing to it to give the best chance of success. I, I think that's the biggest difference between a company like Frasio launching products that are bankrolled is we make sure whatever we choose, we're really committed to it. And we know this thing, or we really believe it's going to be a winner. And if that's the case, we're not going to let a few bumps sort of slow us down. And we can accept the fact that maybe it takes four, six or eight months to get it profitable. Um, and, you know, we reassess, of course, and we will back out of a few things. I'm, I'm sure of it, uh, but we really care about what's the next year going to look like not the next two to, to six months yeah i mean for for any seller getting into this space like you should already have kind of planned loss for the first x number of months coming in and, and know that and i think you know as you get into the space continually getting uh, assessing how well the product is performing basically like do i have a good product at a great price i think is kind of the number one question that i would have kind of in perpetuity, um, because if, if you did your research up front, you, you know effectively what the sales volume is, uh, you know what the keywords are that are driving sales and so forth. You know, you, you may get surprised at how expensive PPC is, but at the end of the day, I mean, you should know a lot of these things coming in. And like, if, if you're not planning on losing money up front, it, like, it's just gonna be very difficult to, to kick things up. I, I, I do think for someone getting into a space and, you know, basically my point was, Winning a space is, is going to be difficult. I, I feel like in general, product differentiation only goes so far if you if you don't have the chops to to push, you know, keyword ranking, sales. Or, if nobody sees your product, so your your product differentiation yeah. doesn't doesn't matter, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, and everybody can you know just copy it, you know, for the most part, right? Like that's that's what happens on Amazon. I I think that for someone kind of getting into a mid volume to low volume space and and is comfortable being you know, top five, top 10, I think that just getting started, like you, you can be really scrappy if you absolutely need to. And I think that you should get into spaces where you have the marketing budgets to, to be effective. You need to have really good photos, uh, you know, main and ancillary, you need to be split testing these. Um, you need to have great, you know, copy that's both well-written and, and well-optimized. And you have to be able to drive, you know, traffic and, and reviews on, on the back end. Uh, 
these things are something so important. You could be scrappy and work with influencers and, you know, work with Facebook groups that are kind of, uh, um, un- untapped essentially and, and work with the owners there and work with publishers, small, you know, affiliate blogs and stuff like that. It's going to be difficult and it isn't going to work if you don't have a great product, uh, with, you know, that people are, are looking for at a, a great price, but I mean, there's, there's definitely opportunity. Don't get me wrong, but I think winning in larger spaces is, is going to, and, you know, obviously we all know that a good portion of Amazon's algorithm is driven off of conversion rate. And we've seen, and sometimes it's not even that expensive. It might only cost us two or three grand. Sometimes it's six to 10. When we do a rebrand on a product that's already in a, leadership or mid page one position and our unit session rate will go up by five, 10 and as much as 25 percentage points after we do with the branding and represent the product. So spending a little extra time on packaging, if it's going to be in the hero image, have a major impact on the amount of sessions you get. And then really being careful, crafting a, a meaningful story that speaks to your product's specialness and differentiation and that compels someone to purchase through like a, a series of, of trust assessments can have a major impact on your conversion rate. And if your conversion rate goes up, you can spend more money on PPC, then you get more sessions and your conversion rate higher. It creates this, this sort of positive feedback loop that we all want to see uh, on Amazon sellers. So committing to it, it's, it can be rough, but if you're going to launch a product, you, it's better to do it right is what I, is what I would say. So, just curious, how many SKUs do you guys have now? Uh, I believe I had a conversation today. We're, we're well over 15,000, but I couldn't give you anything close to the, the exact number. I wanted to ask one, uh, and that's a, that's a, a crazy amount of SKUs to manage. You have to be so operationally, uh, you know, like a, a very well-oiled machine. So it's a big testament to, you know, to what, uh, to what you guys have, have done um to be able to to grow these brands so um congratulations on on 15,000 SKUs um uh, we had a question from um somebody messaged me a question you know sort of like your thoughts on um you know up and coming platforms um you know Shopify Walmart Best Buy Home Depot Newegg um you know are are you know you moving over every brand onto you know or for the or most of the brands that you're running onto other platforms? Um, and then, you know, what kind of advice, like at which point do you think sellers should think about, um, not from necessarily like evaluation standpoint, but just from a, you know, growing their business standpoint um, to, to move over to, you know, platforms like a, like a Shopify or Walmart? My, my, my first piece of advice would be to, to look internationally, actually. You know, you already know how Amazon works. Typically, international expansion is, you know, you, you have to deal with the legalities and, and that and, and, and managing inventory and so forth. But, like, in general, selling in these other platforms is, is tactically much easier, you know, assuming you, you do things right. And it, it, it can be just basically kind of a, a nice kind of easy sales driver. It's much easier than learning, you know, D2C. D2C can be very difficult. Um, and it's just a much different ball game. And so, yeah, my, my first piece of advice would be to look internationally reviews carry over. Um, so, you know, if you have a thousand reviews in your, your market on Amazon us, you go launch in, in Germany, 
you know, you, you keep those thousand reviews, even after people leave reviews in the German markets currently, which is, you know, fantastic. So currently, you know, we get to go into Germany with a product that has a hundred thousand reviews and we, you know, do a little bit of magic to improve keyword ranking. We write it, we have like, you know, a native, uh, this woman that grew up in, in Germany for like 19 years, uh, on the SEO team, she's writing them, you know, she knows our keyword research process. So anyways, we, we do everything kind of as well as, as possible translate, not necessarily, I, I don't like the word translate. We, you know, kind of write them from the ground up with a native tongue and we're able to improve or drive sales like very, very effectively, which is great. Uh, and then, yeah, after that, I mean, we're, we're spending considerably in, in DTC, uh, personally, or, you know, at, at Thrasio, there's a lot of opportunity there. The goal is to get the majority of our, our brand you know, doing well there, but we're, we're kind of starting with the ones that we see the most promising. We spent some time in 2020, John can speak to this, uh, investing in D2C on, on some of the brands that we felt had uh, some, you know, significant opportunity there. And we were really excited about the results. So we decided to, our, you know, parlaying off of that, have built that into a nice part of the org. For example, I just hired a director of Google SEO to, to help work on that initiative just hired someone to focus on Walmart. We're building some of our brand management kind of um, structure around some of these other channels as well. So we have a DSC pod, a direct consumer pod. We have a, a um, Walmart pod that are the group that's focused on Walmart, for example. But again, you know, while we're excited about these new channels and think that they represent good areas of growth, particularly international and D2C, you know, there's still going to be small relative to Amazon. You know, my, my advice for sellers in general is most likely the fastest way for you to, if your plan is to exit, you're like, you should focus on maximizing trailing 12 months, uh, uh, revenue and EBITDA. And, and I don't think you should say, you know, for this 12 month period, I want to have the, the highest EBITDA and, and like, I'm just going to, focus on nothing but that, you know, you, you may decide to continue pushing on with your business, so forth. Um, oh, so like, you know, if, if you have a million dollar business, just with five products on Amazon, the fastest way for you to get to a $2 million uh, business is to probably launch five more products, right? Or mm -hmm. maybe three because you've learned some things. Uh, versus going and trying, like I personally have seen so many sellers kind of lose their Amazon business. I'm talking seven, eight-figure Amazon sellers that have completely, you know, lost their way on Amazon because they spent so much time focusing on retail or focusing on D2C. And it's just a different animal. They didn't have the team set up for this. And, you know, perhaps their products or brands weren't well-suited for that for these other channels. And so I think that focus is super important, especially when you, when you have a limited team or limited capabilities, or if you're only good at a, you know, handful of, of things in particular, really scaling up Amazon. Once you have a team in place, or, you know, maybe you just have a product that is going to lend itself really well to a D2C type channel, or, you know, um, you know, but you have some friends that do really well in, in some of these other, like, le less focus on channels. Like, uh, if your product lends itself well there, you know, maybe worth testing out, but I think the most important thing is that you don't lose sight of your, your, uh, you know, Amazon business or what's great. Yeah, it's great advice. I, I think especially on, 
you know, sellers getting shiny object syndrome. And like you said, you know, if you have a million dollar business with five products, the easiest thing is to have 10 products and, and a $2 million business, um, as well as going internationally before maybe you make, you know, a jump over to, to Walmart or, or Shopify. Um, Clement, I'll let you ask um, the final question. I know we're, we're, um, we're, we're over an hour in the room. I appreciate everyone's time. Um, I'll let you ask the, the final question here. Uh, and then we can have some some final um, final comments. I'll be doing another room on Thursday night um, as well um, at, at the same time, 9 p.m. Um, so if you follow the Amazon Sellers Club here, you'll get pinged um, for that room Thursday night. Um, Clement, go ahead. So looking back at the journey, and I guess this this question is primarily for you, Jonathan, is um, what are the things that you, as you look back, that you realize or went wrong before they really went right? And uh, what are the things that you've really learned and adjusted since uh, Thrasio was founded? Well, uh, it's a great question. I, you know, I think the, uh, I'll, I'll go back to the, I think it's Carl, you, it was sort of like the, the hero's journey starts with the fool. So whenever you start anything new, you're going to spend a lot of time sort of facing some level of chaos and, and periods of unknown. Uh, and, and for us, it certainly was the case. Uh, what we realized early on was how much operational chops would play a role in our success and that every deal that we did um, was only as good as the, the business we then operated afterwards. So at various points in our maturation, we found um, a variety of, of, of weaknesses. And I think what, part of our success story was recognizing that where we had ignorance and making sure that we found the right people to fill those you know, institutional gaps in, in, in our business operations. And so for us, remaining just so focused on building a, a, a top-notch operational team and uh, staying exceptionally focused as, as you grow, so many things come across your, your plate. It's sort of like an, an, an embarrassment of riches in an opportunity sense. And, and you really, Casey pointed to this, is, is you really have to know when to venture into new ground and when to just say no to things and, and stay focused. So. For me, that that goes for a, a business that's a two-person operation or 700 people like we are now. Is you really have to know what you're aiming at, uh, build systems so you can operate things correctly, find out where your weaknesses are, accept them, and then find ways to face them and turn them into strengths. And for us, I think at the most fundamental level, that's still uh, essentially what we are. But now, you don't know what you don't know until you run into it often, and you have to embrace that with grace and then look for solutions. And uh, generally, at our, our team, we're, we're optimists, we're forward thinkers. Uh, we, we accept that things will change and we'll have to adjust. Uh, and having that, that lack of rigidity is, I, I hope, that continue for us and, and our success in the future. Thanks. Guys, it sounds like there are some um, stories uh, that hopefully we can explore in the future around some of that. Pain. Oh, yeah, there's plenty of them. There's some good ones. 
I won like our first, yeah, we had a stack coupon uh, right after Black Friday in our first few months of, of full operation. And uh, we gave away uh, $60,000 of products in, in about four hours uh, at, at 100% stack coupons. Mm. Um, so yeah, that one was a, was a really hard hit in the, in the very early days. Yeah. I know a seller that, uh, same thing, same thing happened to, uh, to him also in, uh, in, in stacking coupons. I, I know another seller that, yeah, had about $200,000 in sales in in an hour, um, also stacking coupons. So, um, so I, I guess for people knowing that it also happens to, uh, to, to the big boys too, uh, maybe it can be uh can be a little a little bit comforting um you kind of make mistakes at uh at the small levels and then at the bigger levels uh as well we started you know we started as small guys as well so yes um well thank you thank you everybody for for uh those in the audience for joining and for for submitting uh questions along the way um any final comments uh any uh anybody on stage wants to make before uh, before we close the room, obviously, uh, you know, Thrasio is acquiring businesses. You can talk to them directly if you, uh, if you're looking to, uh, to sell your business, Chris, um, also helps, uh, I believe Chris, you help investors, um, or those acquiring businesses, uh, do due diligence through your company Centurion, if I'm, if I'm correct on that. Um, so another great resource in the space, as well as the Rhodium, uh, Rhodium community. I'm in Chris's group. Um, he vets every single person before they're allowed to to join a really great group of entrepreneurs that are that are in that group. I don't know if Chris, if you want to just share uh, a minute on on that before we uh, before we sign off. Uh, yeah, no, I, I would just say that um, you know if, if you're a good person and you want to be around other good people, um, you know, and, and you have a business that's e-com content media. SaaS, uh, even some, you know, kind of digitally focused service businesses, I'd love to have a chat and um, yeah, you can, you can um, set up the, the chat as part of the application process on the, on the Rhodium website. I also just want to say thanks to Casey and Jonathan. I think this is the first time we've had a chance to interact and just, just um, really, you know, watching from the sidelines of what you guys have been, been able to accomplish has been awesome. And one of my values within Rhodium and, and just myself is paying it forward. And I just appreciate the fact that you guys are on these types of things and, and sharing your, your knowledge for other sellers and you know, helping helping all of us grow together. So I just want to say thanks to you guys. You're welcome. It's uh, it's it's been a pleasure. We, look, we feel the same exact way. And when the world opens up and we're out at events and stuff, and I I I, I want to help as many people as possible reach success. And it's I, I regardless of whether they would ever sell to us or not, it, it's immaterial to me. Um, you know we're all on this sort of uh, journey and this incredible time to, to be an Amazon seller. And I, I want, uh, you know, as many people to enjoy the fruits of their labor as possible. Anything we can do to help, we're, we're always going to be an open book. Um, at our level, it's one thing to say, and it's another thing to do. Uh, so for us, there's no reason not to help others. Awesome. Um, well, thank you everybody for, uh, for coming on Casey, uh, final word. Yeah. I was just going to say, you know, thanks so much for everybody for hanging out in general, you know, I like to talk to Amazon. So if you ever want to talk strategy, have any questions, I'm always happy to help. Feel free to DM me on Instagram. You can see it in my profile here. 
And then my only question, actually, well, and thank you very much for for Leon and Clement for for having us. I think the questions were great. Um, you know, this is a lot of fun, and I think it's great the way you guys pull out kind of new pieces of information. Um, so we're not just just covering the exact same topics every time. I think that's fantastic. So thank you. Well done, guys. Uh, my my only question was for Leon, and it, what it, it's where are you buying your your clubhouse followers? <laughs> seeing the numbers skyrocketing. Um, you know, um, I think part, part of it, my feeling might be coming because I created this Amazon sellers club. Well, first of all, it's one, number one, I'm awesome. Right. So that's, that's a given. Um, but no, I think, I think it's, um, I think it's coming cause I created this Amazon sellers club, which is the first sort of club on, uh, related to Amazon that was created on clubhouse. Um, so sort of like taking advantage of that early, I think people somehow find the club. Um, and then they see I founded it, so it's helping me. Uh, it's helping me with the with the follower count. So um, and and you know I've been I've been pulled up on some rooms you know that have happened to come on that uh, uh, people have pulled me on stage. So that that's helped spending too much time here. Um, but um, yeah, that that's been um, that's been kind of it. So yeah, grateful for uh, every person that uh, that follows me. One of the, one of the things you know I try to just do here is just add value, have conversations like this that are really fun um you know and not sort of participate in in things that are just kind of like pitching people stuff so um i really value everybody else here who's you know not pitching and just uh just offering uh offering adding value i think that's really kind of the spirit of uh of what clubhouse is all all about so really uh really love this app um and uh yeah thanks uh thanks uh casey uh you know you you asked a question that i wanted you to ask so uh, appreciate, appreciate it. Um, but, uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for, uh, for participating, um, and, uh, for, for joining us. Thank you everybody in the audience. Um, and if you have other, other topics, questions you want to see asked in future rooms, you can also post, um, um, you can, you can DM me or post in my Facebook group, e-commerce mindset. Um, and I'll be posting this as well to the e-commerce mindset, um, podcast. So that'll be up for, um, you know, if you know anyone that would have liked to be in this room, but doesn't have clubhouse or wasn't in the room, um, it'll also be up on the, on the podcast as well. So, um, thank you everybody for joining and, uh, wish everybody a great night. Thanks for having us guys. Thank you. Thanks everybody. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the show. If you know of a great guest for the podcast, please connect me with them um, and feel free to join the e-commerce mindset Facebook group where um, there's a lot of good discussions happening uh, on uh, e-commerce and specifically marketing on Amazon. Uh, the link is in the show notes and thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I really appreciate you and I'll see you on the next episode of the show.